It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. My, how the worm has turned. Remember, over the course of the last eight years, when Barack Obama was the president of the United States, you had Barack Obama denouncing the impacts of dark money, denouncing the Wall Street elite who he felt was out there destroying this country for the people who supported him and for America in general. Remember that, Barack Obama? Well, all right, that Barack Obama apparently does not exist anymore because the post-president Barack Obama, well, he's decided that he is going to stick his snout into the trough just as deeply as anybody else could. The story is that Barack Obama, the new buckraker-in-chief, has cut a deal to give a speech in front of a Wall Street group. Um, The Wall Street group is going to pay Barack Obama... Hope you're sitting down four hundred thousand dollars for a 90 minute speech. Now, again, this is the same Barack Obama who has a history of fighting against the big banks unless the big banks are ready to give him a ton of money. Four hundred thousand dollars for one speech. Now, you might say, "Okay, this is all right. He's a hypocrite. And I think that would be fair to identify him as that. But, you know, what do you do about this? You know, you have these politicians who decide that once they leave office that they want to cash in on on their celebrity. It's no secret. I mean, Bill Clinton has been traveling around the country for years and years, you know, giving speeches and generating an incredible amount of money, making him rich beyond the dreams of avarice. Former President Bush does it, not to the extent that Clinton does it. And it doesn't appear to the extent that Obama is going to be doing it. But they all do it. So what is the issue? Well, here is a very, very interesting twist to the story, and this is where I want to start off with. There was, last year, overwhelming bipartisan support for what is called the Presidential Allowance Modernization Act. What that bill would have done last year is it would have essentially said, if you, as an ex-president decide that you are going to use the fact that you are a president to make a ton of money, that's fine. But you are going to lose your pension accordingly. The way it works right now is ex-presidents, they get a pension that is the equivalent of what a cabinet secretary makes. So, um, for example, I think last year it was, this year, it's $207,000. So it's two hundred and seven grand plus they get another hundred and fifty grand for their their offices, you know, to hire staff and all. And that's in addition to the Secret Service protection, which doesn't come out of that. But they get two hundred and seven thousand dollars as a pension. The way this law would have worked is it would have said, All right, you get your pension, but once you earn four hundred thousand dollars or more on the outside, just like the way Social Security works which is if you aren't full retirement age and you're collecting Social Security but you're making outside income, what happens is after you exceed a certain dollar amount, the amount of your Social Security goes down dollar for dollar. So what this bill would do is it would say, all right, you're allowed to make $400,000 in outside income and still collect your full pension. But after you hit that $400,000, what will happen is your pension will be reduced dollar for dollar. In other words, we're not going to have the taxpayers pay you $207,000 if 
you're out there making a few million exploiting the fact that you were the president. We're not saying that you can't do it. You can give as many speeches as you want to Wall Street and collect this big dough, the big dough. But if you're going to do that, you know, we're not going to have the taxpayers paying out the money. This bill had overwhelming support in both the Senate and the House. It went to Obama's desk. And last summer, in what was a surprise to a lot of people, Obama vetoed this. This was only one of, I mean, he only had a handful, like a dozen vetoes. This was one of those dozen. Clearly, this was one where you had the president at the time had huge self-interest. Hey, I I don't want to lose $207,000. Here, I'm going to veto this. Well, now the bill, in light of what Obama is doing, now the bill is back for consideration. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now let's put aside the hypocrisy in somebody like Barack Obama who made a career railing against the big banks, now turning around and taking $400,000 for one speech to a group of big bankers. Let's put that aside for a second. Let's talk about the overall concept. If a president decides former president that they want to make big bucks on the outside they want to do their speeches or whatever they want to cash in on the fact that they were the president should they then lose their pension 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line personally i think this is a no-brainer i mean look if you i don't think presidents should have to live in poverty and if you decide that you don't want to try to make big money on the speaking tour or whatever, go with God. That That's fine. $207,000 is great. But if you are going to be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars for single speeches and you decide that's the way you want to go, I don't think the taxpayers should be helping you along the way. You've already gotten the opportunity to earn all this money by virtue of the fact that you were the president. This bill, which, by the way, has bipartisan support, I don't see this as being Republican. I don't see this as being Democrat. I just see this as doing the right thing. All right. Should Obama lose his pension if he continues to make big money outside of outside of office? And this would also apply to the other. This would apply to President Bush. It would apply to Bill Clinton. I mean, seriously, why are we paying Bill Clinton a pension when he's out there making millions of dollars giving speeches? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 842. 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mike in Kenosha. Mike, good morning. You're first. Hey, good morning. Sure. Yeah, you know, our whole that's something other than public service. I, I think it's more self-serving uh, than it is public serving, I mean, particularly. Um, and, you know, not only do we uh, have these guys maximizing the opportunity for financial gain after office, but during the time yeah. they're in office, they're allowed to do day trading right. as well. It's it's crazy, and I think if we, the peeps, can, can finally, you know, uh, uh, accept a responsibility that it's, it's up to us, to make these changes. Right. There's no one candidate, no one party. Right, right. No apply it bipartisan. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I apply, you got to apply this across the board. Look, nobody thinks that form. I don't think that, and I don't think anybody would argue that former presidents should be expected to live in poverty. Okay, and that's why you have this pensions where we're paying $207,000. Okay, great. But at least currently, you have these former presidents who have decided that they are going to, I'm going to use the word exploit, uh, maybe you could use a different word, but exploit the fact that they were the president. 
president to become rich beyond the dreams of avarice. I mean, the Obamas have cut out, what, a $65 million book deal. Um, he's giving speeches now to the groups that he ridiculed um, during campaigns for $400,000. At some point in time, do you say, okay, if you're going to choose to go that route, you know, you, you don't need the taxpayers giving you an extra couple hundred thousand dollars. You decide to go that route, you're on your own. And the best example I could give you, like I say, is for everybody who is on Social Security, you you know this, that if you retire before your full retirement age and you continue to work and earn income beyond certain limits, you lose dollar for dollar, you know, the Social Security value that you get. They, that's just the way it works. To me, this is a no-brainer. And I think, like I say, Obama obviously obviously um, had his own self-interest in mind when he vetoed this bill last year, surprised a lot of people. Look, I mean, I don't find, I don't care if, if people want to pay him for speeches and he wants to make a few million dollars next year and he can do that, fine, that's great, but he shouldn't be getting a taxpayer paid for pension. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom on the east side. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, yeah, I don't think he should get attention, but I like your idea about across the board. I, I, I think, in general, every U.S. citizen that has amassed a, a certain amount of wealth, you know, they shouldn't get the Social Security. I mean, what's a, what's a little meager Social Security check going to do to a man that's worth $10 million? Oh, well, right. you're, so you're talking about means-testing Social Security. Well, where, where I dis- well, I'm just saying across the board, like you said. I well, mean, I guess, I mean, the difference, wealth. well, I mean, see, Tom, the difference between that is that, for for people, and this is why I oppose means testing of Social Security. And what Tom is talking about is, if you paid into Social Security all your life, but you have, uh, you've also been responsible and you've saved, and so you have five million dollars sitting in an IRA account. The argument would be you don't need Social Security, so you shouldn't get it. Why I don't agree with that is because you, you've paid into Social Security your entire life. That this idea that just because you've been able to save money that you shouldn't be entitled to get anything out that you've paid in. I don't buy that. I mean, that's that's the government confiscating your, your money. This, to me, is different. This is a situation where, again, he, he's you've got the option of having the, the pension, but that's not something he paid into or anything. That's just something that Congress gives him. He's choosing to go another route and make a whole bunch more money. And the way this would work is they'd let him make up to $400,000 in outside income. And it's only after that $400,000 threshold is hit, which in the case of Obama is going to be one 90-minute speech, then you start reducing the amount that, that's paid. So it's more than generous. We're not expecting presidents to live in poverty. Dennis in Pewaukee. Dennis, you're on six. 20 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for call, taking Hi, my call this Hi. morning. Hi, Dennis. I, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, but, you know, I think he has precedent for what he wants to do, and not just with regards to other presidents. I mean, you look at other professions where people retire, and then they come back the next day mm-hmm. as an ad- advisor or a consultant or whatever, and they're drawing their pension, and they're working again. I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, it, I guess... It, that, it's just, it's just, there's an incongruence not just, you know, in this case, but throughout our culture with regards to this. Well, I guess the difference here, I mean, look, I I mean, I I understand that the so-called double dipping and things like that. The the difference here, though, is we're talking about taxpayer dollars. If If you've got a private company, for example, that wants to let somebody retire, collect their retirement benefits, and still they decide to hire them back on a contract basis or something, to do essentially the same job, 
because they, they think it's more efficient or whatever. That's at least we're not playing with taxpayer dollars there. You know that that's the decision that the private company has made that presumably they assume that's in their their best interest. Um, I understand these concerns with double dipping, particularly when it has to do with I don't know, teachers or school administrators. That's where you see it a lot, and I think those are, are valid, valid concerns. But but in this particular case, this isn't the private sector that's doing this. This is just, and to me, this is a decision that the president ends up making. The ex president ends up making. Do you want to? Do you want to just simply say, okay, I'm going to take what the government's going to give me? Or do I want to, do I think I can do better? This actually plays out in a way, it's, it's, in some respects, it's parallel to the way some of the campaign financing laws work, where you're, you're told, all right, if you agree that you are not going to spend more than a certain dollar amount, um, you can, you know, you, we'll give you, you, you can go public financing and we'll give you the money. But then you're limited to, you know, how much money you can spend. If, on the other hand, you decide that you can raise a lot more money and you want to go that route, well, then you can go that route, but you don't get the public financing. This is essentially the, the same thing. Um, Obama, and very clearly, is not the only one doing this. Bill Clinton is kind of the gold standard for when it comes into being a buck raker, capitalizing on your former presidency. I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to give speeches. I am saying we, the taxpayers, shouldn't be underwriting this by paying them a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on top of it. If you want to make the big dough outside of office, go with God. That's great. But don't expect the taxpayers to help pick up the tab. 852 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, be careful. People are going fishing. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Two went to play baseball last night in St. Louis, so they'll try for the finale later today. Originally set as a matinee, note the start time has been bumped back under the lights. That means Scafidi and Billstead have a show today. they got to work. Um, it also means that Bob and Jeff take to our airwaves at 540 here on WTMJ. It is sponsored by our friends at Catholic Financial Life. Keep in mind also, coming up, oh, in about 10 to 15 minutes or so, your next chance to follow the Brewers. This is the last week of the current promotion. Somebody, if you are the correct caller, coming up in just a couple minutes, you will win a four-pack of tickets to a game at Miller Park, and you will be registered for our weekly grand prize drawing. This week, uh, the winner will be uh, given an opportunity to go follow the Brewers back to St. Louis September 30th for a game that, if if we're lucky, and if the Brewers continue to play well, could have playoff implications. How cool is that? All right. I knew something was up when yesterday afternoon, early evening, I checked my email. And I'm not one of these people who obsessively checks the email when I'm not at work, but I do check it from time to time because, you know, you, you never know what might be in there. And I knew something was up when I saw at least a dozen emails that I had received from names that I did not recognize. Hondo Jones has sent you a document, and it was one after another after another. And these were, it looked like, you know when you get the things from like Google Documents and, you know, open up the document. Well, this was, there there were literally a dozen on my email, one after another after another, saying, you know, click on this. Well, the fact that I didn't recognize any of the sent first of all, I am very skeptical of this stuff, and the fact that I didn't recognize any of the senders made me even more hesitant. And my general rule is when it comes to stuff that you get sent to you in an unsolicited fashion over the Internet and you do not know who or what it is coming from, 
It's simple. Delete. <laughs> it's just simple. It's it, it's delete. And if it turns out that I've missed something important, well, somebody will always call my attention to that. So I deleted all these. And then about 15 minutes later, a notification comes out from our, our the guy, um, our, my friend Kurt, who runs our IT department, saying, don't open these because it is a phishing. That is P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G as opposed to phishing scam. What apparently happens is if you get one of these documents and you open it up, and then you follow the instructions, what will happen is, essentially, the people who are doing this will then get access to your Google accounts, which means they, they will be able to, to pretty much get a lot, whatever personal information you might have out there, they will be able to get access to, and you know that they are going to use it for very, very bad purposes. But apparently, this latest one just took off big time uh, yesterday, and this is something that you're seeing. People were seeing and experiencing this all over the country. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, my natural skepticism caused me to say, I'm not clicking on this. I just I don't know where this is coming from. I, I'm, I'm not going to open this up. But I have no doubt that there are a lot of people who did exactly what the thing said here check out this document clicked on it and then kind of went into you know internet purgatory our number is 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line did you get one of these did anybody click on this and then what happened also i have an idea as to what we need to do to stop this and we will discuss that all but were you the victim of this phishing scheme yesterday 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line we will discuss and i'll tell you what i think needs to be done that's coming up it's 859 jeff wagner 620 wtmj matter of fact we've gotten a number of emails and texts about this phishing p-h-i-s-h-i-n-g scam not phishing as in fishing pole but phishing which is where you have scammers who are out there taking advantage sending out these scam emails in an effort to try to get you to click on them so they can then get access to information from your computer and it can create a, a huge problem yesterday there was a massive massive uh, dump of this type of stuff. Uh, Jody writes me on email. I received one of these emails. It was under the name of someone I knew, but with the warning that Gmail gave about the message, I did not open it and instead contacted the person asking if they, in fact, did send me a document. Um, they they did not. Um, yeah, you've got that that's going on on our text line. A number of people are texting um, about the this, the extent of of this, including it seems our entire district was a victim of a scam. I received the phishing email yesterday. It came from my child's school librarian. I began to open it thinking it was a notice about an overdue book. Then I happened to glance at the CC line and saw a fake email address was included. I was able to decline and close out of the scam before any damage was done. Um, Nancy in Grafton. Nancy in Grafton is the winner of our Follow the Brewers contest for today. She is automatically registered for our random drawing that's going to be occurring tomorrow. One of our five daily winners gets to follow the Brewers to St. Louis on September 30th. So keep listening. Another chance to win comes up tomorrow morning. All right. Now let me open up the phone lines on, on the phishing issue. Just one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Chances are yesterday, if you opened up your email, you saw one of these things. Um, 
I got to believe a lot of people ended up clicking on this. And once you click on this, um, depending on what you do after that, you could be going down a very, very bad path. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Part of the problem with this is that it is very difficult to identify who is responsible for these things. And so the people who do this do it knowing that, all right, maybe it's only going to work one out of 5,000 times, but it costs us so little to do this once we are able to identify. Once all we need to do is get one person to click on this, and then you know we're going to be off to the races. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were you the victim of one of these? Did you get one of these? Did you happen to click on it? And, and what should happen to the people who are doing this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 913. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It, you might wonder, all right, why were you getting these, these different Google invites, these things to open up the documents? And why, in some cases, did they come from people you know? Well, chances are, if they came from somebody you know, that meant that those people were the victims of the scam. Because what happens is, you get this you get this message, you've gotten a Google document, you open it up, and then by clicking on something, what you do is you give the scammers access to to your computer and access to, for example, all the contacts that are in your computer, and then they automatically generate emails that then go to everybody else on your contact list. It's this vicious sort of pyramid kind of scheme to take over your computer and gain access to personal information. Obviously, the best defense is being aware of it, not clicking on it, but... Unfortunately, right now, the scammers, they're not afraid of anything because they almost never get caught, which is the issue. Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Did you get uh, hit by this yesterday? I didn't, but my wife did at her work, and she works in, uh, like, a home lending capacity. Okay, well. (laughs) And they were from four of her previous clients that she really hasn't had need to have contact with. Right, and presumably what happened then is those clients got this, they clicked on the document, the scammers were able to take over their entire contact list and then start sending them out. Your wife was probably on that contact list from a long time ago. Exactly, and you know, she immediately, you know, red flag, red flag. Right. Didn't do anything herself, but yeah, it's it's wild. It's like uh, the Wild West of, uh, you know, today. Well, it, it, it is. And, you know, the pr- part of the problem, and thanks to call, I mean, matter of fact, I've got a couple stories that I'm hoping to talk about over the course of the next couple of days involving hacking. But part of the problem is you, you don't know where these people are that are doing this. I mean, it, it could be somebody in somebody's, some guy sitting in mom's basement in Colorado. It could be, you know, somebody sitting somewhere in Eastern Europe. It could be the Russians. Who knows what happens? But once they get access, access to your information. They essentially take over your computer and they have the option, then they can just get into all the different information that you have on your computer. And seriously, I mean... I mean, just just imagine. I'm not talking about doing criminal stuff. You know, I, just imagine the things that might be on your computer server, the letters that you have, the things that you have sent, the email notes that you have sent to people. I mean, do you really want other people being able to get access to that? Here's my point. I I appreciate that. Right now, we play defense. You know, we try to build in security systems that stop 
these things from being hacked or try to stop the, these phishing scams in the first place. And, and obviously you have to do that. But we need to get a lot better at the other aspect of it, which is recognizing that this is a worldwide problem. And these scammers and these fraudsters and these creeps that are out there doing this are criminals, just like just like somebody who, I, I don't know, embezzles money from a bank. People who steal your information and then use it to profit in this fashion or pass it on to people who use it to profit in this fashion, they, in my opinion, need to be put in jail. And we need to be a lot more aggressive when it comes to investigating and prosecuting these sort of cyber crimes. And I appreciate because it is a worldwide Internet that that you're somewhat limited in that regard. But this is a problem that is getting worse and worse, and we are all being victimized by it, particularly the people who, okay, maybe that red flag doesn't go up, and you don't realize, hey, you know, my, my granddaughter just sent me a document. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Click. Next thing you know, you are a victim, and everybody else in your contact list is a potential victim. Glenn in Muskegon, Michigan. Glenn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I think you made a good point. Uh, the, the problem is that there is just so many of these scammers all over the world, yep. and uh, they're really hard to catch because uh, another they got these email scams and another real famous one now are these IRS scams. Right, right. Uh, well, right, the phone you're talking about, like the phone calls you get that say, "Hey, right. I'm from the IRS, and send me, you know, you're, you're going to be arrested unless you send me yeah. X amount of dollars by five o'clock tonight or whatever." Yeah. yeah. And one lady had a heart attack because she thought that was true, and I think they should be charged with murder. Well, I mean, I think they should definitely be. I mean, thanks. There, there definitely needs to be aggressive criminal prosecution. This, this is a big deal. In addition, I, I, I look. Anybody can be victimized by this, but let's face it: this, these schemes and scams are designed to target the most vulnerable uh, among us. And look, and I, I appreciate that everybody's got a different knowledge of, of computers and all, but I could easily see somebody who is not, and I, I'm far from computer literate. I know just enough to be dangerous. That's just the truth. But, but I mean, these are designed, these are designed to target the people that don't have like a Scripps Network IT coordinator looking out for you just to send out these notices and say this. These are, I mean, these are designed primarily to target, all right, you, you've got the, the retiree and it's got the lady who uses her or man, gentleman who, who uses the computer to check out Facebook and to send occasional emails to their children and things like that. That's, that's who is perhaps the most vulnerable that ends up get, getting targeted by these. Cybersecurity needs to be much more of a priority. And if they catch the people that are doing this, it is worth trying to extradite them. It is worth putting them in prison because right now the risk of getting caught is so low that it encourages people to do this. So bottom line, we need to tighten security. But big story number two, if you happen to get one of these, so-and-so has sent you a Google document, click here and open it. My advice is don't, don't, don't. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Delete that bad boy and move on. 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number three is coming up. Health care gets a vote, we think, at noon today. It's 922.
924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it time for lawmakers to step in and protect free speech on college campuses, even if that means for the most controversial of speakers? Some in Madison say yes. Do you? Join the debate during Scafidi and Bill Stat 1235 today. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I find this to be the most fascinating story of the day, that, that we're thinking about changing tax law to deal with dark stores. I understand, what's this dark store thing? Tax law? You really think that's interesting? It is fascinating. I will explain why and we'll discuss in just a little bit. All right. Yesterday, had an exclusive interview with, state, with uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan. He said that he believed that there was going to be a vote that would be coming up this week on the House's efforts to repeal and replace Obamacare. He said that they were almost there. It appears that they do have the votes to pass this because they're not going to let it come up to a vote without enough uh, votes. He said he thought that they were moving in the right direction. And one of the things that we discussed was this notion when it comes to Obamacare. Part of the frustration that I think Paul Ryan has and that I've had is the way the coverage has been slanted is, well, okay, if, if they do something now, it's going to be different than Obamacare, and, you know, maybe this is going to mean that some people are going to lose certain coverages or whatever. The problem is with this discussion, and the ultimate lie, is that Obamacare as it exists now is not going to exist a year or two from now because the Affordable Care Act, depends on insurers participating in these various pools and offering insurance. And that's more and more as the costs go up and the profit margin completely disappears for insurers. Fewer and fewer insurers are participating in these pools. So, for example, when President Obama said, if you like your plan, you can keep it, that wasn't true. If you like your doctor, you can keep them, that wasn't true. And what we've gotten to the point now is that in, what was he saying, about a third of the counties across the country, there, there's only one insurance, one insurance carrier that's participating in the pool. So you have almost no choice as it comes now, um, no ability to argue about price at all, and more and more insurers are continuing to pull out. I'll give you the classic example of this, the story in the Washington Post today. Iowa, which at the beginning of this year was touted as one of the great successes of Obamacare, um, well, okay, the insurance market in Iowa under Obamacare is absolutely collapsing. Um, they had three insurance companies that were participating at the beginning of the year. The largest one has now decided it's it's not going to participate, and they are dropping out. That leaves them with two more that are left, and both of those have said, hey, we're not making any money. It becomes, and we do not think that we are going to continue to participate after this year, which means if things go as now are expected, after this year, there's not going to be a single insurer that is participating in these pools in the state of Iowa for next year, which leaves the people who live in Iowa who are depending on the Affordable Care Act completely and totally up the creek without a paddle. So that's why when, when you hear Ryan saying we, it, it's not a fair comparison to say, all right, let's look at what Obamacare was you know, a couple years ago. You have to look at where Obamacare is now and then project where it's going to be in two years. And the truth is it is collapsing because insurers won't participate because they, they can't make any money. The costs 
are, are just so much greater than the amount of money that's uh, being put in. And a large respect, that's because, because of two reasons. First of all, you have health care costs that are continuing to spiral. But secondly, you have healthy people who are electing not to participate in the program. They're taking their chances that they don't get sick. And the penalties for not participating are so small that economically it makes sense for them not to participate. So that leaves the people who are participating in the program to be the folks that are either already sick or more likely to get sick. And the whole concept of insurance, as we've talked about before, is spreading risk. You need healthy people paying into the system to support the sick people who are you know, taking out of the system. And the idea being, hey, the healthy people are going to be there for years and years and years, and they're going to pay money in that's not going to be needed, that they're not going to need. But then when they ultimately need it, there'll be other healthy people that are they'll be there to underwrite the cost. That whole thing has just fallen apart. So you have all these stories out there now going, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. They're going to do changes, and this is just going to destroy people, and you're going to have all these people they are going to be without coverage. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In my opinion, I am not going to argue that what the House is doing today is perfect. But the House needs to do something. We need to make major changes because the Affordable Care Act, I believe, will collapse in the next year or so. And the experience that they're getting ready to go through in Iowa is not going to be a unique one. But I understand there's some people who are going to say, oh, this is just terrible. We should just leave this in place. I also understand that there's no time in American history when an entitlement program, once it has been put into effect, has been repealed. But let's tee this up. House of Representatives is getting ready to vote on a repeal and replace bill. Should they go ahead or should they just leave this alone? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the future of health care in this country, I think they need to go ahead. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A prominent politician believes Alexis Patterson is still alive. Nobody in law enforcement agrees, though. John McCure has the details at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am not going to suggest to you that the health care reform bill, which presumably will pass uh, the House of Representatives this afternoon, the vote is scheduled for noon our time, is by any means perfect. Um... I, I'm not also going to suggest that it's the, the final word on this. I think that you're going to have the Senate to want to weigh in. But I do think it is an important first step. Something needs to be done. Obamacare will crater. And you're starting to see this as fewer and fewer insurers participate. Now it looks like Iowa, starting next year, isn't going to have any insurance companies that are going to decide to participate in the exchange. What What do you do? We've got to do something. 414-799-1620 is the number. Jerry in Green Bay. Jerry, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I'm um, I'm kind of one of these guys that says maybe we ought to let Obamacare collapse. Um, you know, we've been kind of, uh, I'm not in favor of Obamacare. I think it's a bad idea. I think it has to be changed. But maybe we need to let it collapse before Congress re- decides that they need to do something. You know, it seems like we're always trying to force these guys into thinking. And yeah. um, maybe 
maybe we need a little public upheaval here to make it to get it done. Well, the problem with that, Jerry, is you say let it collapse. What do you do with all the people right now who are depending on that for their insurance coverage? I, I have a couple friends who are are. You know, because they're self-employed or their employer doesn't offer health insurance, so they're they're on the Affordable Care Act. You know, and and what what they're experiencing is, first of all, the, the premiums have gone through the roof. Um, the number of choices they they have. I was talking to one friend just the other day, and I said, "Hey, did you make an appointment for physical?" And they were telling me, "Well, um, I, I can't." The, the, the insurance plan that's left doesn't have any of the former doctors that I used to use. The network is real limited, so i, I got to find another doctor and those things. And, and I guess, I mean, I understand in theory the idea that you say let it collapse, but what do you do about all those people that need, that need insurance who now have been forced onto the Affordable Care Act, these exchanges, because the, the, the private market has essentially collapsed? How, you know, what, what do they do? Do you say, okay, well, you know, no doctors, no affordable premiums? I, I just, I guess I just well, don't see know, how you can let it collapse. I, I guess, um, you know, let, let me say this. Um, I'm on uh, Medicare. My right. wife is 60 years, 60 years old and healthy. Yep. We're paying $722 a month for an ACA-approved policy, uh, and we have uh, $6,500 a year deductible. <laughs> Um, yep. And you know we're both we're both retired and we're looking at last year I had seventeen thousand dollars out of pocket yep. between her and me. Yep. So I mean I'm in it and then I see something this morning where it says the uh, uh, AARP is against this plan because it's going to be a tax on the elderly because elderly premiums will go up as a result of it. Well I don't I don't like that either obviously but. But right. I, I still have to kind of go back to the thing where it just seems like the only time Congress ever really does anything is when right. the feet are held to the fire. And I don't see that happening right now. Well, no. No, right. And, and I mean, I, see, I appreciate the politics of it. Whatever happens today, if there is if there is something that passes, it will pass with very, very few Democratic votes. Um, the only Democrats that will probably get to vote for it is are people who are in congressional, who are up for election next year, who are in congressional districts won by Donald Trump, who feel that they're very vulnerable on this. And see, and I do under, I understand everything that you're saying, Jerry, when you talk about how, you know, politicians only do this stuff when their feet are held to the fire and maybe we need to let it collapse. And intellectually, spoken from the perspective of somebody who gets his health insurance through his employer, um, I, it, it's easy for me to say that unless you recognize that there's a lot of people out there who, you know, are, are dependent on on this insurance and have seen how, how things have changed, in many cases, for the worse for the average Americans. And, you know, and I understand the big hang-up continues to be pre-existing conditions. How do you cover that? Because... Right now, you can you, you can go without insurance, take your risks, and then suddenly end up with that catastrophic diagnosis, the stage four liver cancer. And then, you know, depending on what time of year the diagnosis is, you, you can just automatically go into the pool and get insurance and, and get coverage. And that's one of the things, together with rising health care costs, that's just making the whole thing unaffordable. So you, you have to figure out a way to deal with the whole pre-existing condition stuff. Although I will tell you, there's all this out, there's all this angst out there about how, well, that this bill would allow the states to kind of opt out and create their own high-risk pools. I don't think there is anybody who would argue that in Wisconsin – you know, we did a much better job with dealing with pre-existing illnesses and our high-risk pool 
when we, we, we did this before the Affordable Care Act, Wisconsin, and it pretty much worked pretty well. In general, premiums were lower, and the choices that people had as far as doctors and plans and networks were a lot greater. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Sandy in Milwaukee. Sandy, good morning. Oh, hi. Hi, Sandy. Well, I guess I had pretty much the same comment how, say I'm a baby boomer, and say since Obamacare kicked in, I'd say my insurance has doubled. And now with the new plan going down, I heard prices will skyrocket right. again. Right, so the costs are go- your costs are going up. My guess is your your choices of doctors and plans has gone down, too. That would just be my guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so do we need to do? Nice. So do we need That'd to do nice something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I see that. That's the. And, and again, I I understand Obamacare sounds like this nice sort of thing. I see. I I, I don't want to go down too far the conspiracy, you know, the conspiracy theory hole. But I mean, I I believed all along that, and I, I've been arguing this for five years that what is happening now was completely and totally predictable, and I believe intended. I I think all along the architects of Obamacare were trying to get us essentially to to, to a single payer, government sponsored health insurance uh, all along. But they didn't think that the country was ready for that in 2010, so we create this entitlement program under the Affordable Care Act. We know that as time goes on, it's going to fail because all the stuff that's going on now was predictable. And then it's going to be, well, you know, we, we can't go back. You know, you, you can't do anything that might result in, in some people, you know, like losing their coverage or whatever, even though the, the reality is for many, many people, they're going to be forced off of this unless we do something. So then the argument is, so now we have to go to the next step. Let's, again, let's go to the Canadian system or whatever. Well, I'm sorry, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be Canada. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. We need, we need to increase competition, giving people more options. Obamacare has given us less options. Phil in Cedarburg. Phil, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Phil. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Phil. Yeah, good morning. Sorry about that. It's no problem. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the big problem with Obamacare is he, you know, they added so many things that insurance had to cover, right. and had to have this, had to have that, that it made these plans so darn expensive. Right. And, you know, I had some, you know, I've had a lot of discussions with people, and, and you know, it, it just skyrocketed insurance for, like, the sole businessman, you yep. know, the guy that's got his own employee, he went, you know, they could go find these plans that, that worked well for their families with high deductibles, but now those plans don't exist anymore. Yep. But, so, and I think what, what we really need to realize with healthcare, there is the catastrophe. That's what you need to cover for, right? right? Yeah, the, the, the state, the diagnosis, you've got lung cancer, and you're looking at half a million dollars in, in cancer treatment expenses, right? That, yes, exactly. But the rest of the stuff, you know, I think most people, especially when you think of how expensive health insurance is right now, most of the rest of the stuff you can cover out of pocket. I mean, you should, you know, the first, most people can probably handle the first five, ten, fifteen grand out of pocket. Well, or at least give them the option to do that. I mean, it's sort of like automobile insurance. You can decide, you know, if you want to carry collision insurance, you can decide what your deductible is. Okay, can I oh, can yeah, I handle the more. first? Yeah. You know, can I handle the first? Do I want a five hundred dollar deductible or do I want a three thousand dollar deductible? If I'm willing to say, hey, I'm willing to take the risk and I'll, I'm willing to pay the first three grand out of my pocket, that collision insurance policy is a heck of a lot cheaper than if you got the five hundred dollar deductible. Well, and I think what that does, though, if you're if you're if the first ten grand, let's say, is out of your pocket. 
you know, your, your premium is really low at that point, but it turns you into actually a consumer of health care versus just someone who blindly pays for whatever bill, you know, because right. you don't, you're not paying for it. The insurance company pays for it. So there's no, there's no direct correlation between the bill and the act. You know. Right. So it somehow we have to be consumers. I mean, healthcare to me has two things. It has somehow turn us into actually consumers and make healthcare, you know, the same type of business as every other business in America. There's no reason that a hip replacement is this obscure thing that we shouldn't know the price of, you know? Right. But, and, and we need to be covered for, for the catastrophe. That's yeah. it. Yeah, simple, right. right. I mean, yeah, I know. And I'm with you. I mean, thanks. See, that's, I mean, that that's what, what the hang-up always is, is it is it is the pre-existing conditions. And I think this is something um, that, that all, I think most of us, I won't say all, but most of us would relate to. The idea that, you know, if you've, if you've been a responsible person, you've had insurance all your life, and, you know, maybe it's through your employer, maybe it's through, you know, small business, whatever it is, you've had insurance all through your life, and then suddenly you lose your job, um, and you get a diagnosis of something that makes you uninsurable at any sort of reasonable rate, the cancer diagnosis or something like that, I think most people would say, well, th- there should be some form of coverage for that. And-, and that's what you have to wrestle with. But the problem is, you know, you have to you have to do something that, in my opinion, you know, requires people to have skin in the game, requires the healthy people to participate so they can't just come in when you end up getting sick and expect that you're going to be taken care of because no system is going to work if you if you do that. I do not – look, I, I don't think that what they're going to vote on today is the be-all, end-all. I don't think it is the end of the world, though, to give states – the option of perhaps you know creating their own sort of exchanges because i will tell you i firmly believe in wisconsin consumers in wisconsin were much better off before the affordable care act you know we we had our badger care we had our high risk pools that were there i believe that in wisconsin we were doing it right that you had more choices and that you had a, a more economical system. I don't think the Affordable Care Act has done that much for Wisconsin. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with allowing the states to experiment with different sort of things. And the important point is, unless we do something, it's going to crater. Iowa, which is the goal, has been the gold standard. All the Affordable Care Act advocates holding up Iowa. This is great. You know, look at Iowa. Iowa is going to, they believe, lose all of the people, all the insurers. There's not going to be anybody left to offer insurance in Iowa next year. So what do the people do? I'm also sympathetic to what one of our callers was talking about, Jerry, about, hey, just letting it crater. Let, let's let's have the crisis and then deal with it because that will motivate more people to come to the table. But you can't do that. It sounds good, but you can't do that to the people who really who need it or the people who are responsible saying, hey, I don't want to go without insurance. I've already gotten into a situation where my deductibles have gone up, my costs have gone up, and my choice of doctors has been whittled down to almost nothing. I think you got to be proactive. It's 947. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 951. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We call this the city of Milwaukee way. And it just, this one little story kind of encapsulates how screwed up the city of Milwaukee is. There is an alderman. Um, his name is Russell Stamper II. And 
um, on so many levels, he's a piece of work. But but this this latest story um, is just too rich. Journal Sentinel has a story about it. And I know a couple of TV stations were covering as well. All right, Stamper, who represents you know one of the inner city areas, he um, sits on a committee. He sits on a committee called the Special Joint Committee on the Redevelopment of Abandoned and Foreclosed Homes. Now, you might wonder what that is. It's essentially a committee that, that aims, its purpose is cracking down on, on bad landlords. You know, and, and that's, I understand it's tough to it's tough to be a property owner in the city of Milwaukee with all the regulation, but there's bad landlords that's out there. So this alderman is, is on this committee to crack down on, on bad landlords, people with problem rental properties. Well, all right, here's the interesting detail. Apparently not too many people, including a number of his colleagues, didn't realize that Stamper is a landlord himself. He owns rental properties in the city. And those rental properties have have problems. Apparently what they say is the department is aware that he owns four rental properties, um, including two located on North 22nd Street, one on North 48th Street, and another on North 45th Street. Um, according to uh, the Department of Neighborhood Services, there was a long list of interior, exterior, cleanup, and smoke detector issues dating from 2012 to 2014 with the guy's properties. And then said quiet until late 2016. This is this is coming to the forefront because one of the tenants currently goes to Fox 6 and says that um, he, she's rented an apartment at one of these properties that the guy owns and it's infested with rats. You know, it's it's rat infested. Um she then apparently, I mean, her story is that she goes to complain to the Department of Neighborhood Services that he has rented her a rat-infested apartment. This is the alderman that sits on the committee that's supposed to crack down on bad landlords. So her allegations are that she's rent, he's rented her a rat-infested apartment. She complains to the Department of Neighborhood Services, and then she says he moved to evict her after she reported her concerns. Um, Stamper comes out yesterday and says, well, okay, the, the story that they're, they're running on me, it doesn't capture who I am as a leader and a public elected official. It doesn't capture who I am as a leader and a public elected official. Okay, you're a landlord. If these allegations are correct, you're renting a rat-infested apartment to somebody, and then when she blows the whistle on it, you try to get her evicted. Hmm. That doesn't capture who he says he is as a leader and an elected public official. Um... The, the chief of staff for Ashanti Hamilton says that they'd spoken with ham, ham, ha, him, and um, as of now, they don't believe he should be removed from his position on the bad landlord committee, and they don't think it's a conflict for him to serve as both an alderman and a landlord. What, 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 what could be more apparent? What could be more of a conflict if you are... I, look, I don't know that the guy's a slumlord. I'm not going to say that. But you're a landlord. You are developing policies that affect your business as someone who rents properties. And you don't think that there is a conflict of interest sitting as the alderman and you know on that committee? Huh. That's an interesting take. 
But again, this is the ultimate. If you want to understand why the city of Milwaukee continues to be screwed up, it's things like this, that you've got aldermen who are apparently sitting on committees regulating bad landlords who are, at least if the allegations are correct, are renting out rat-infested apartments to their tenants. We call it the Milwaukee Way. 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1008, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so Jane. Uh, you were talking at the end of Wisconsin's Morning News. You are a big fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. I am a huge fan. You're going to go see Volume 2 when it opens this weekend? I'll probably wait until next week just to let the crowds go down a little bit. I don't like I don't like to watch movies with a lot of people. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> so I'll probably go next week during the day sometime. Uh, okay, Hondo, who, who, uh, you, you are, when are you going? You are going oh, Friday. Oh, you're going to brave it. You're going Friday night. Are you dressing up as a character? I oh, know. <laughs> you have dressed up before, haven't you? Oh, I thought I thought for like some of the things you dressed up. No. Okay. All right. Now, fair fair enough. Well, I, I'm a huge fan. Matter of fact, as I was telling you, Jane, off the air, I watched I watched the regular Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one last night. I I, I watched the movie just to kind of get me in the mood. Mm-hmm. It opens on Friday. Typically, my brother and my sister in law and my niece and nephew we we all go together. Um, we we're not going Friday. We're going Saturday instead because my niece Sydney can't go uh, on Friday, and so my my my. My nephew Alex, his response was, "Leave her home. Who cares?" You know, just, <laughs> How old is he? He's ten. That's a perfect ten-year-old boy response. He's like, "Well, okay. Well, what do you mean? We're, we want to go the first night. You know, uh, Who cares? The, the heck with her." Um, or words to that effect. So no, we're, we're all we're going as a as a family on Saturday night. But I, I mean, I, I just thought Guardians of the Galaxy was great. So let me ask you this: Are you a Star Wars fan? Too? I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this this May the Fourth be with you day. Yes. Okay, now for people who aren't familiar, this is what this is today. It is May fourth. Um, so what what's the whole May the fourth be with you thing? It's because it sounds like May the fourth be with you. Okay, and so it got appropriated basically by the Star Wars fans okay. May fourth, and so it's Star Wars Day. And if you Google it, you will find locally there are things going on. There might be some bar specials. I think Amazon has specials going on right. for Star Wars-related merchandise and things like that. I'm going to have two cinnamon rolls on either side of my head a little bit later on today. As a tribute to Carrie Fisher. Yes, absolutely. My, my homage to Carrie Fisher. <laughs> okay, and I would imagine that there are there are people perhaps in response to the May the 4th Be With You Day who... Um, perhaps even like dress up or something like that. Yeah. All right. Oh, so, yeah, I would think so. So this is not this is not something you know. A lot of people know about this. Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. It's All been right. a, it's been certainly it's been a thing for the last couple of years. Okay. Well, I wanted to establish that. Thank you, because I wanted to establish that as the foundation for the story that we start off this hour with. Here, here's what happened this morning. And I will read you the way this is reported by um, um, somebody from NBC26. So this would be up in the uh, northern part of our listening area. Students were evacuated from Ashwaubenon High School Thursday morning after a student came to school wearing a Star Wars costume and a mask. According to the Ashwaubenon Public Safety Department, the student was wearing a Star Wars character mask for... May the 4th be with you day. Police say a passerby saw the student wearing a Darth Vader costume with what they believed was a bulletproof vest and became worried. Okay, how they knew it's a bulletproof vest, Lord only knows. Um, So what happened is, so this kid comes to school dressed as Darth Vader. As of 
7.45 a.m., the public school officer said the situation had been taken care of and students returned to class shortly afterwards. Apparently, the Public Safety Division investigated a threat at the high school. School was evacuated for a short time, and the kids are now returning back to class. Police are speaking with the student, but to believe there was no ill intent. The school has a policy against costumes. The Ashwaubenon School District issued a statement on Facebook thanking everyone for their understanding as we maintain our number one priority of keeping students safe. And they sent out a tweet saying, um, this morning we had a possible threat at the high school. Safety was called, and we evacuated the high school. Um, we ultimately determined uh, we, evacuated the, we evacuated the high school, Parkview Middle School, and the community center where some students were taking an AP test were put into lockdown. Public safety to sweep through the high school. The situation has been resolved. There was no threat. High school students are returning to the high school, and Parkview and the community center are no longer in lockdown. Okay. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that school safety is important. I also understand that you want to err on the side of caution. I I get that. But it's Star Wars Day. A kid comes to school wearing a Star Wars costume. Would it be unreasonable to say that before you evacuate the school, you do the investigation that they apparently did, and determined it's Star Wars Day. There's a kid wearing a Darth Vader costume. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand you want to err on the side of caution. I, I get it, but the kid shows up in a costume. They have a policy against costumes. The kid is wrong. I understand that. But the knee-jerk reaction is to evacuate the school and put everything on lockdown. Why not pull the kid aside first or at least make an effort to pull the kid aside and figure out what the heck is going on because my guess is within about 15 seconds they'd be able to determine that this is just a kid who's a star wars geek and as for a passerby well i saw him in a darth vader costume and i think they had a bulletproof vest on it's a darth vader costume okay 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line kid shows up in a costume the reaction is evacuate the school and then investigate does it seem peculiar under these circumstances to do this maybe should we have investigated first before you create this huge disruption 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line maybe like use a little common sense Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Have we gone mad? I mean, okay. Today is the Star Wars Day. May the Fourth be with you. It's May Fourth, and so there's Star Wars stuff going on all over. Up at Ashwaubenon High School today, kid shows up in a Darth Vader costume. All right, they've got a policy against costumes. Okay, shouldn't have done that. Um, some passerby sees him dressed in Darth the Darth Vader outfit, mistakes the costume. I think this guy's got a bulletproof vest. He's got a mask and a bulletproof vest. It's a Darth Vader costume. And the reaction of public safety is to evacuate the school and put everybody on lockdown at other attended schools while they investigate. Well, they investigate. It's a kid who's wearing a Darth Vader costume because it's the May the 4th be with you day. 
have we really lost our minds that our reaction is we're going to evacuate the school? Now, if there's an active shooter situation, I get that. But can't we just go perhaps and like ask and see what's what's going on here and maybe investigate before we go nuclear? Now, I'm looking at the website, the, the Facebook page up there, and it's really interesting because the, the majority of the comments – Thank you, Ashwaban, on public safety. This is so great. You're out there protecting our kids. Well, okay. Do we have we lost all our common sense? I mean, really, Joshua in Kenosha. Joshua, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey. Hi. Um, we, we haven't lost our common sense. We just don't need it. <laughs> okay. We have, we have a policy. It's on page seven, paragraph four. Somebody called. We go into lockdown. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. I mean, who needs? Who needs to think? Right. Who needs common sense? Who needs anything? I mean, we got a policy. Yeah. We got to implement it when it happens. Right. We're, we're, no, nobody does any investigation. Nobody says it's a kid in a Darth Vader costume. This is the Star Wars day. Maybe before we freak out and go into lockdown and evacuate the school, maybe somebody should put two and two together and see if this is just some kid wearing a costume because it's Star Wars day. But we don't do that. We just, like you say, the policies, let's go into lockdown because this could be some mad shooter that's going to kill everybody. Can I add on? I wish I went to high school now. You know how many times I forgot to study for a test? No problem. I got a Darth Vader costume in the closet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, th- again, it's, it's, and look, and I, I understand, that's why I said going into this, that you have to err on the side of caution. I, I mean, I understand that. But, but, but figure it out. I mean, for, for, for real, before you just, we're going to evacuate the school and then we're going to investigate, maybe do a little bit of investigation first, just because, and again, some passerby, well, there's a kid wearing a, a mask and oh, I think it's a bulletproof vest. All right, well, I mean, I understand. You get that report and then that's caused to freak out, but maybe once you, like, check it out, well, it's not really a bulletproof vest and, and it's a Darth Vader's mask and this is Star Wars. Rick in Green Bay. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks, thanks, for, call. thanks for calling. I was one of the parents who got a phone call about the incident. I first got a phone call that they were evacuating about the situation, and then I got another phone call saying that what you know what you just said, that it was uh, a misunderstanding. Right. And now you're talking about common sense among the Ashwaubenon on public safety uh, it's my opinion that uh, none of them have common sense. <laughs> what what time? I'm, I'm curious. What time did you get the phone call about the evacuation? Uh, the first one was right around seven forty-five. Okay. And then the second one was about an hour ago, hour and fifteen minutes ago. Okay, so you know right. it's, it's a pre-recorded, um, but you know right. Right, it, it turned out to be nothing. And look, and I understand you, you don't want to put your kids in danger, but okay, somebody showing up in a Darth Vader costume, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to me that anybody's in danger. And before you go through and freak out the parents and do all this stuff, maybe you just want to do a little of investigation first to say it's a kid that wore a costume from Star Wars, for goodness sakes. It was a parent who made the phone call. Parents come, they drop their kids off. The parents seen this child in that costume right. and called public safety. The public safety really don't have much else to do up there, but over exaggerating. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I love the, the Green Bay PD. I mean, they're great. But at Schwabenon, they overreact on everything. 
Well, it does sound like, I mean, thank, it, I mean, okay, so that's the passerby. Thanks for the call. You're saying the passerby was one of the parents dropping off one of the kids who sees somebody standing there in a Darth Vader costume, all right, on the Star Wars day and, and, and freaks out. I, all right, and now I, I, in fairness to Ash Robin on public safety, while I think evacuating the school is an overreaction before you investigate, I mean, you do kind of wonder what the parents are there, too. I mean, what, what, what is going to happen? What happens around Halloween? Um, you know, if you pull up in front of a Halloween party and you see somebody dressed as one of the Star Wars stormtroopers or something like that, are, is that going to cause you to freak out? And look, I, I get the argument, again, better safe than sorry, but where is the common sense? Now, I'm also looking at this Facebook page, and there, there are parents on the other extreme who are upset that they didn't get the phone call telling them the school had been evacuated before they dropped off their kids. Their argument is, if we had known that there was going to be an evacuation, we wouldn't have brought our kids to school in the first place because heaven knows there's the kid in the Star Wars costume that manages to shut down the school. I mean, really? Really? It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Governor Walker is proposing a major change to your property tax bill. Steve Scafidi says it's big, 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 it's bold, and it's great for Wisconsinites. Get the details during Scafidi and Billstat. That is at 135 this afternoon. Um, okay, I want to talk about the, this, this, the whole concept of dark stores because this is, this is an, I find it to be fascinating. And it, it has a huge potential impact on how much money you are going to pay in taxes. Here, here, here's the deal. Imagine that there's a, let's say it's a Kmart store that has gone out of business. Big box retail store sitting out in Grafton, Wisconsin. Okay? It's, it's been vacant. Kmart, it's gone under. The store, a couple hundred thousand square feet. It's been vacant for the last two years. And there ain't nobody coming into that space anytime soon. So it's a vacant store, weeds growing through the parking lot. Okay, so you've got that store. Then imagine two miles down the road, you have another big box retailer, a Costco, that is thriving. Let's say it's the same footprint as the vacant Kmart store. It's the same footprint, you know, same square feet, same sort of amenities, same size of parking lot. But the difference is... It's a successful, ongoing business. You've got hundreds of people, maybe thousands, coming each day to the Costco. So it's a tale of two stores. The way it works now in most jurisdictions in Wisconsin is when the assessor goes out to say, what's the property tax? What they do is they take into account whether the business is successful or not. So the vacant Kmart store, with the weeds growing up in the parking lot that's been sitting empty for a couple years, that will have an assessed value that is much lower than the Costco store has. Because the Costco store is in operation, you've got cars coming, etc. Even though the physical plant of the stores is, is about same square footage, you know, same, same everything, but one is a going concern and the other isn't. So when they come out and they assess property taxes, they make the property taxes higher on the business that is the ongoing concern. 
What's happened in Wisconsin over the last several years, and it goes back to a case that came out of Dane County, is it's called the dark store theory. The owners of the successful big box stores, like in my example, the Costco, they've gone to the assessors and they've said, wait a minute, you know, you should not assess us at any more than you assess the vacant Kmart, the dark store, because the assessment shouldn't be based on whether or not we're running an ongoing business. The property is the property. We've got the same sort of building. We've got the same square footage. You know, that's what you should be comparing. doesn't matter whether we're a successful business or not. And, you know, we're already, we're paying all sorts, we're paying employment taxes, we're paying sales taxes, we're paying corporate taxes. We're already paying all sorts of stuff um, because we are an ongoing concern. But property is property. And that vacant building is really should be assessed the same way that our buildings are. It's the dark store theory. We, being the successful owners, should pay the same as the dark store. Well, a lot of these retailers, a lot of the people that own the ongoing businesses, are suing and they're challenging the assessments. And as a result, some of them are winning. And what's happening is that money, so they win. Let's say they get, they get, they get the value of their store knocked off half a million dollars. Well, what happens is everybody else's assessments have to go up to make up for that loss. So this is a huge issue. Um, there's a couple Republicans and one Democrat who introduced legislation yesterday, which would say no dark store, which would say, which would essentially say dark stores should be treated differently than the ongoing business. So if you've got the thriving Costco, the assessor could take into effect account in deciding value that the building is being used and is successful. So you wouldn't have to base it solely on property to property. That's the best way I can explain this. But I, I'm fascinated by this. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it fair for property tax purposes for the person that owns the successful Costco to have to pay a lot more in property taxes than the person that owns the vacant Kmart. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. But what do you think? It's more of a matter of policy, I think, than anything else. It's 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, before the break, I explained that this this dark store theory, it, it, it right now, the when they are assessing value for tax purposes, they, the assessors, as a general rule, when you're talking about commercial property, they can consider whether the business is an ongoing concern or not. So you've got two big box retailers within three miles of each other. One is the vacant Kmart store that there hasn't been anybody in in, in three years. That typically will be assessed lower than the thriving Costco store a mile down the road that's the same building, same square footage, same foot, you know, floor print, etc. But it is an ongoing business concern, and they're making a ton of money off of that. All right, so what's happening now is a number of the owners of these successful big box stores, they are suing. They're challenging the assessments. They're saying, hey, we should not have to pay any more in property taxes than the dark store, that, in my example, the Kmart that's down the road. The effect of this has been to cause municipalities to generate hundreds of thousand dollars in legal fees, and they're, they're losing some of these cases um, because you know, courts are saying, well, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. 
a couple Republicans and one Democrat introduced legislation yesterday, which if passed, would, would say you assess the value based on the best use and the current use. In other words, it would allow you to clearly say, all right, if you're an ongoing concern, that property is worth more than the vacant property. All right, is, is that right? 414-799-1620. I will tell you what I, where I come down on this in just a minute, but this is one where I, I want to hear what you think, because to me this is a policy matter. You can go either way. Let's talk to Jason in Madison. Jason, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Hi, Jason. Jeff. What do you think? Uh, well, how should they be taxed? First of all, I, I work with the State Chamber of Commerce, WMC, and we came out in opposition yes. to this yesterday. Yes. And uh, you've been characterizing this issue great from the perspective of assessors. Right. But what you haven't done, Jeff, the reason these these retailers are challenging, and it's not just retailers, it's restaurants and other yep. businesses who are being over-assessed on the front end by the assessors, and the whole discussion about dark store and so forth is the legal argument to try to get back to where they had paid their, their assessment previously. Yep. And so so our contention that, hey, you've got about a fifth of the municipal assessors employed by the municipalities who seem to be really aggressive going after, they're starting with retailers, you pick a disfavored industry and try to drive up uh, property tax collection from them. Of course, the law, which has been in place since a, a 1970 court case mm-hmm. that, that governs assessment of commercial property, uh, this would make a fundamental change to that, and we'd be giving assessors a lot of power to assess higher rates, uh, higher, higher property tax from... Well, am, am I wrong, though, Jason? Assessors have been have been doing this. This is the procedure they have been largely using for years and years, right? No. I mean, assessing the, really the, assessing the value. Assessors. So assessors have begun doing these high assessments right. in the last decade, and that Madison court case you referred to, that was the first big-time... It rose up to that was a, a 2008 decision, I think. Uh, explain where, to me uh, the policy that why isn't why isn't the success in my example the successful thriving Costco why isn't that property more valuable than the the vacant Kmart a mile down the road? Well, so first of all, that the instances in which a vacant property is used are actually few. Most of these cases are about the a lease agreement that a store might have with the property owner and the municipality instead of the the value of the actual property they want to have the value of that lease agreement be what's charged Mm -hmm. so if you're a successful business you're doing well you should pay a higher property tax never mind the sales tax the income tax all the things you, you laid out before right so our contention is you know why should why should property tax now be treated differently because a business is successful it's it's a different. The property tax should be assessed on property. Right. So you don't you don't buy the argument that the 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 successful business at that location that that property is is more valuable than the vacant store a, a mile down the road. Um, you just think hey the, the 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 setup is the same, parking lots the same, buildings the same. That's what the amount should be. Period. No well, no relation to success. So that issue has really been overblown. So when when Walmart closes the regular one and builds a super Walmart down the street. It's not a comparable property. When mm-hmm. um, Home Depot has the lumberyard indoors, when Arts has the lumberyard outdoors, so you know they're not always used as as comps. And yeah. this is one of the big talking points that's driving. And I, I'm not going to say that that vacant properties are never used. 
vacant homes are sometimes used for home assessments sure. for a comparable, a comparable change. So th- this would be a dramatic change away from the current law we've used for nearly 50 years in how we assess commercial property by giving assessors the ability to go... Consider, uh, the, consider what the property is being used for. No, property I, tax assessment. No, thanks for calling. Jason, I understand it because this, this allows them... Now, a lot of them have been doing this. I mean, I'm not sure that I, I agree with your assessment that this is different, no, no pun intended, that, that this is something that hasn't been done. This is something that they've been doing for a while, and it's now starting to get challenged. Um, but, right, that this is – and the argument would be, hey, for residential real, real estate, for example, okay, in, in my block, there was, there was a house that sat vacant for like six months. Um that assessment didn't change. I mean, they, they didn't lower it because the house was vacant looking for a, a buyer. It was the same assessment. So that's kind of the same argument, that the property is the property. 414-799-1620. At the same time, just I will have to tell you this, intuitively, and I understand that businesses, and I understand, by the way, where WMC is, intuitively, the fact that you have a successful ongoing business at a property I think does make that location more valuable than the the vacant property that that's down that's down the way. Now, is it fair to impose like a higher property tax on that? Well, all right, the reality is if if you don't, that means everybody else is going to have to pay more. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I guess I don't understand why it's not just the same. It's $10 a square foot. You got a hundred thousand square foot Costco that's open versus a hundred thousand square foot Kmart that's closed. It's a, it's a piece of property. Mm-hmm. It has you know. It's not like a home where you have you know. Well, the guy next door sold his house, so now my house is worth more, and it goes up and down. Yes, the property should be assessed pursuant to it's a piece of property. There's no other intrinsic value to commercial property should be strictly a square footage. I don't think that, in your example, Costco should be getting a break. I think Kmart should be paying more. Well, okay, well, I, I guess, the, the, but the, okay, from the perspective of of the landowner, you've got a successful business at one place. You've got a failed business at the other. Is Is that store property, are the two store properties really worth the same? Well, the, the building, unless it's falling down, right. I mean, if it's in disrepair, I mean, if it's uh, something that I can move into tomorrow, yep. then that building is, the building itself is worth what the building is. I mean, if you had to rebuild that building, it's going to cost you X dollars. That's what it should be assessed at. Right. So you don't think that the fact that the, the, the one location is a successful business and is attracting all sorts of... Uh, Customers, that doesn't make that property any inherent, more inherently valuable. All you do is you just look at the parking lot, you look at the square footage, and that's what you base it on. Period. Well, it's more, it's in more value. Okay, if I'm the leaseholder, yes, I'm going to, you know, right. But for tax purposes, you more that way. But that's that's different. That's like the rent you get. Uh, you know, a, a thousand square foot house. One you can rent for five hundred dollars a month. Another one you might be able to rent for a thousand dollars a month. Okay, based on the 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 quality of the building in that. But once you've, you know, what it was at is what it's at. It's a square footage. As long as it's not falling down, burned down, or just a, a you know. A okay, right, exactly. And that, that's the argument. Now, thanks to the call. Those are, 
those are the arguments that the people who make who think that you shouldn't include, you don't consider the value of the commercial property beyond just the brick-and-mortar store. We continue the conversation next. Interesting. 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. They call it the dark store loophole. And it's successful big box owners are challenging their assessments saying we should not we should pay the same if i've got a thriving costco store in my example and there's a vacant kmart a mile down the road i shouldn't pay more because i've got a thriving costco store my taxes should be based on what you're paying for the vacant kmart store now justin green bay has an interesting point he says everything but commercial property in wisconsin is uniformly taxed according to fair market value so also should be commercial property it's if a particular property is containing a successful business could be sold for more than an identical one that's been empty for three years so be it that uniform property assessment according to market value. And that's, I think, the argument that some legislators are are making, saying that, all right, when you're looking at the value of commercial real estate, it's more than just the value of the brick-and-mortar store. It's what's going on in the store as well. And if it's a successful business location, that property is worth more. Let's talk to... Dave in Brown Deer. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Uh, Hi how you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I've been a commercial property owner. I've been a uh, residential property owner. I've been a uh, licensed real estate broker, and I've taken the appraisal courses <laughs> and passed the uh, state and the national uh, tests. And what we're doing here or what we're talking about is mixing apples with oranges. We're talking about real estate and under the uniformity clause in the Constitution, you can't just pass the law to get around that. It's the fair market value. You have a successful Costco store. If they moved out of that property, that property would go right down to the value of the already empty Kmart store. Because it's just bricks and mortar. Right. And what these municipalities are trying to do is to actually tax the business yep. that the Costco store is doing, and that's why we have a sales tax. Right. So, so you think it's unfair. You, you think it is unfair to charge the successful Costco a higher property tax simply because they're in business and that the tax right, should be the same could, as the vacant building? They could just move right over to the Kmart property, and they'll still be successful. Uh, but that doesn't make the Kmart property any more uh, valuable because now you got the empty Costco property. In Illinois, they do not have the problem because the municipalities share in the sales tax. In Wisconsin, they do not. In Shorewood, they went on a wild building spree, financing all kinds of uh, commercial properties, many of which are now empty, and they never conveyed the um, truth that a commercial property is not worth any more than a residential, and actually, in most cases, it's worth less because its use is much more limited, mm-hmm. and they're not bringing any more into the coffers of Shorewood because they don't get any of the sales tax. What 
if Wisconsin wants to make this fair for the municipalities, they should share the sales tax with the municipalities as they do in Illinois. And, and equalize it, it out. No, I, I understand. I guess I, I understand that point, and and th- that's part of kind of the larger conversation about, you know, do we put too much on the property tax, and and how do we resolve this? You know, at, at the same time, I guess I'm having trouble with your basic concept, which is that the the successful ongoing business at a particular location, that the fair market value of that property being a successful business is not greater than the fair market value of the store that's the property that's been vacant. I mean, I get it. The argument is, okay, property is property, but if you've got a, a successful business that is attracting people, if you go to sell it, you know, and it's an ongoing business, you're going to be able to get more money for that location, it would seem to me, than you are for the location that's been vacant for the last three or four or five years. I mean, I know if I was looking to – let's take an example of, a, of something that might be more relatable than just the big box retail store. But but let's say let's say there's a restaurant. And, you know, you're looking at two comparable properties, and there's one that's been a vacant restaurant for the last five years. And you've got another one that's a thriving restaurant where people have been coming to. I think you could argue that the fair market value of that business is greater the one that's been thriving if you were going to turn around and sell it. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Don in Bayshore. Don, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. What do you think about this? Well, I think there's a, you know one missing piece of the puzzle that hasn't been brought up yet, and that is the idea that unimproved land, right, vacant land, is worth a fraction of what improved land is. So, as a general rule, yes, unless it's on the lakefront. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, right, 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 right. Okay. So, unless we allow this provision for a lower assessed value on, you know, the black stores, the dark stores, uh, then the initial knee-jerk reaction for those property owners is to simply raise that property, right? Just knock it down. We'll go back to vacant land tax assessment. And I don't see how that helps anybody. You know, so all those materials and labor end up in a landfill as opposed to allowing for a lower tax assessed value and hoping that a new investor will come along and regenerate that uh, that thriving business that we all hope for. Right, and, and move in and take the chance. And the truth is, if you have, let you, if, let's say you have that new investor, they're, they are not, I mean, it seems to me, just intuitively, they're not going to be paying as much, they're not going to be willing to pay as much money to buy the vacant garden store that's been sitting vacant for five years. They're going to expect to get a better deal on that particular piece of property than if they were trying to buy the successful garden store that's been in operation for the last five years that has thousands of people coming in over the course of a week. I, I just, it, it exactly. seems to me, yeah, I, see, that's, yep. yeah, see, that's, I, look, I understand where WMC is, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, because they recognize that if this if this trend continues, it will result in again the successful man the, the successful big box retailers having to continue to pay more in property taxes, and that's what they've really been doing for a while. That's why they're now challenging all this. So I understand it is in some respects it is an extra tax on business, um, but here's the flip side. 
if you if you don't allow those higher assessments, if you don't allow this to continue on commercial real estate, that money is going to come from somewhere, and it's going to result in individuals, I think, having to pay more. Anyhow, this is going to be a heated debate. Um, Governor Walker has not weighed in on this. Um, WMC, which is a very, very powerful lobbying business group, and, and, and to me it's a policy question. It's not necessarily a right or wrong. You can decide what you want to tax, but it's a policy question that's out there. Maybe I'm just being overly simplistic about this, but it just strikes me that if you've got two properties next to each other and one is thriving and the other is vacant, the fair market value, the worth just beyond the brick and water, but the uh, mortar, the intrinsic value of the business that is thriving is more than the value of the, the vacant business down the road. That's just me. I understand the flip side of the argument, but the truth is if some legislation like this doesn't pass, be prepared for the residential property rates to go up because the money's going to have to be made up for somewhere. In any event, when you hear this talk about the dark store theory, that's what they're talking about. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That was, I think, an exceptionally smart conversation about sort of I, – I, I'm glad we had that conversation because I think it's a really interesting policy question. One final note uh, on our text line. As a local municipal finance director, a majority of commercial property assessments are done on an income approach. When somebody buys commercial property, they look at it from a rate of return standpoint. Therefore, if that's the basis of determining a purchase price – I think it should also be used for assessments. Well, this debate's going to play out, but when you hear this whole dark store thing, that's what they're talking about, and um, you can figure out what it might mean to you. Okay, I'm jealous. Jane Metner, I have a friend, dear friends of mine. They've been down in Cancun for two weeks. I get, I get just get this email. Listening to you by the pool here in Cancun. Have fun. <laughs> My note back was, it's been cold. I'm jealous. It's been cold and rainy here since you left. But, you know, have another margarita and move on. <laughs> you know, it's just, but that is, by the way, that is the great thing about the podcasts and about our live streaming and stuff. You, you can't get away from it. You can take me absolutely anywhere. Figure out if that is a good thing or not. Coming up in less than 10 minutes. The Nuge is back in the news. I got a bunch of people who just, they just don't want to hear Cat Scratch Fever. We will talk about it. And later on in the 11 o'clock hour, it is Thursday. That means Pop Culture Corner, and it is a particularly fun one today. So stick around. It's 1059. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner, coming up right after 1130. It is a particularly timely thing today, Going considering what's going on in the entertainment world in just a couple days. All right, speaking of the entertainment world, the controversy over Ted Nugent continues. Now, I, I admit that I have been somewhat baffled and disappointed by the snowflakes, not just the child snowflakes, not just the college-age snowflakes, but the snowflakes in general that are out there in society who are threatened by concepts, ideas, or people who express concepts and ideas that they do not like. You had this big speech last night 
that was it was being done by uh, at the Madison Club by Charles Murray. Um, he's the author of The Bell Curve. He's a libertarian who is very aggressive and outspoken in a number of his ideas. He's very, very controversial. He, he, I mean, he's, he's more libertarian than, like, Republican. But wherever he goes, he is met by protests. As a matter of fact, there was some fear over what was going to happen in, in Madison after what happened. Um, there was protesters who violently, dis- violently disrupted his lecture at Middlebury College the other night. So he was coming to Madison. He was going to speak. At, he spoke at the Madison Club, which is off campus but close to close to campus, not on campus per se. But there were concerns that there was going to be all sorts of violence and things like that. Well, what happened is they had a ragtag group of protesters. And I understand I might overuse that term, but trust me, this was a ragtag group of protesters that showed up outside the Madison Club. You had about 15 people, so you could count them on, you know, both hands and one uh, one foot. You had one woman who was like had drumsticks who was banging a pizza box, and you had a couple others who were like shouting. They were outside and they were trying to kind of shout down this the speech. But they were outside. Nobody heard them. And so the, the thing went on. It was like, you know, what happens if you plan a protest and nobody comes? But but the interesting thing to me was that you have these hardcore left wingers who are so challenged by the fact that you might have a conservative, in this case, a libertarian speaker who comes out with ideas that they don't like, um, that, that they're going to be out there. And their point is to try to disrupt the event not have a counter-event, not present other things. They're going to try to disrupt the event. And you saw this play out with Ann Coulter, for example, when her, her speech at Berkeley ended up getting canceled. Uh, Charles Murray said, hey, I, I'm not Ann Coulter. I'm not, looking, I'm not looking for the attention. I mean, I don't necessarily want to be controversial, but this is what I think, this is what I believe, and I want to share the ideas. And the thing went off without a hitch yesterday because, like I say, you had a pathetic, pathetic group of ragtag protesters. I mean, seriously, she shows up with an empty pizza box and drumsticks and starts banging on them. You know, th- that's... You know, what happens if you gave a protest and nobody came? But nevertheless, there was still a concerted effort by a small group of people to try to shout this guy down. We don't like his views, so we don't want him here. Flash forward to the world of entertainment. Ted Nugent, rock and roller, cat scratch fever guy. Ted Nugent um, goes back to the, what, the the 1970s, kind of like the, the heavy metal, one of the kings of heavy metal, I would say. Uh, Ted Nugent is also a rarity in the music industry. He is a hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool conservative. And this is in the rock and roll industry. Country, you can find more uh, conservatives. But Ted Nugent, um, outdoorsman, active member of the NRA, very, very politically active, and he has made no secret of where he stands on various issues. Now, just like... There's a lot of people on the left that I think are way out there. There are some people on the right that I think are way out there. Ann Coulter, I think, is way out there. Ann Coulter says stuff, and I some of the stuff I don't know it's whether she legitimately believes it or it's just because she re- realizes that it's going to be provocative and controversial and she wants to be kind of a flamethrower, and, and that's her shtick. I, I, I don't know Ann Coulter well enough to know one way or the other. Uh, Ted Nugent, I kind of lump in the same category um when it comes to his political statements he's he's way out there and he says stuff that you know i i would not 
say and they don't necessarily agree with. But at the same time, I don't know that he's any more out there on the right than you have a lot of the Hollywood celebrities and musicians are on, on the left. I mean, yeah, he's provocative. He speaks his mind. You can you can maybe kind of roll your eyes and say, eh, maybe should he have said that or not? But but that's that's him. So there was a controversy you remember a couple weeks ago. He was scheduled to play at the Wisconsin Valley Fair up in the Wausau area. And after they announced that he had been booked, you had the the Marathon counties where Wausau is. You had the head of the Democratic Party demanding demanding that he be pulled. Um, demanding that you know they, they not allow him to continue with the show because she was offended by some of the stuff that he ended up saying, etc. And if he was going to perform, they would try to organize a boycott. Well, to the credit of the fair, that they said no, we're we're not backing down. Um, you know, here's you know here's the reality: we have signed contracts. There'd be a substantial penalty if we tried to back out of the the contracts, and and we're you know we're not going to do this. I mean, yeah, he's going to perform, and you know people can decide whether they want to come or not, and people can decide if they want to try to organize a boycott or not, and that's fine. But you know we're not going to back off. So credit to the organizers of the fair for doing that. Well, this issue is back in the news again. He is scheduled to perform at the Fond du Lac County Fair. And um, he's supposed to do a show during Fair Week on July 22nd. Um, apparently, there are a couple groups in Fond du Lac, one calling themselves United for Diversity and another calling themselves Ebony Vision, um, who have now demanded that the Fair Board cancel Nugent's contract. Um, the argument is... Uh, these groups, which euphemistically uh, promote what they call social justice and inclusion, say that Nugent uses violent-tinged language to demonstrate his ignorance, fear, and hatred of others. Evidence of this can be found all over social media. His most dangerous weapon, we demand that he be pulled. Now, the fair organizers say, well, look, we've had him here in the past. He's been well-received by local crowds. He's been in Fond du Lac at least four or five times, performing at different venues. Um, he headlined a, fall, a fair entertainment in 2010, and they say, look, we're, you know, we're, people like his music, um, and we think it's up for the individual to decide. Um, there are choices, so we don't intend to back off. That is not making these groups happy. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's tee this up. Um, in Wausau, they refused to give in to the protests. They refused to cancel Ted Nugent's deal. Now, I mean, if Fond du Lac were to change its perception, if Fond du Lac were to cancel, you know, again, there, there'd be a huge penalty that they have to pay. They'd have to pay the fee anyways. But if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. I just, I think this is nuts. To me, first of all, if you decided that you weren't going to go see entertainers because of their political views and you were a conservative, you wouldn't be going to hardly any different rock shows. If you like Ted Nugent and you like the show he puts on, I think you go. And I don't think that Fond du Lac or Wausau or the Wisconsin State Fair or anyone else should cave in to these demands. Yes, he is politically incorrect. Yes, he is over the top. But, you know, 
So what? If people like him, I think they have every right to go. And I don't think the fair, if they think that this is something that's going to sell tickets, I don't think the fair should be discouraged from booking him. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for Fond du Lac to say no to the nuge? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven nineteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Our text line exploded. God bless Ted Nugent. Uh, somebody else texts. Really? I bet if they signed some hardcore rap hip hop hip hop act, that would be just fine. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, here's what's going on. There's this group out of Fond du Lac. Now, the controversy involving Nugent. A couple weeks ago, it was Wausau. He's also been booked in July to play at the Fond du Lac County State Fair. You've got this group called these groups, United for Diversity, whatever that is, and Ebony Vision, urging the community to demand that the fair board cancel the contract and also to boycott Nugent's performance. Nugent's response is... Now, this happens all the time. By all indicators, I don't think the people behind this are actually, that they actually qualify as people. But there have always been a lunatic fringe of hateful, rotten, dishonest people that hate happy, successful people. So, in other words, he's saying, pound sand. My attitude is, Fond du Lac County, just like they did in Wausau, should tell these people, pound sand. If you don't want to go to the show, don't go to the show. But, my gosh, just because he's an outspoken conservative who admittedly, you know, admittedly has some things to say that maybe not everybody would articulate or maybe not everybody feels that way. If you don't like the show, don't go to the show. Um, Steve in Beaver Dam. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I'm on the Dodge County Fair Board. Okay. We had a very, very similar situation a number of years ago. Yeah, I think uh, I remember that. That was a couple years back, right? Yes, it was, and I did talk to you at that time about right. it. Uh, Racine County was going through exactly the same thing. What these people don't seem to remember is that before the act is announced, they've already signed a contract. Right. At our time, we had a $50,000 contract. They didn't come and offer us, offer to reimburse us the $50,000 <laughs> to make Ted go away. Right. We've had him three different times in Dodge County. He has been very, very well received. Do, do the members of the fair board necessarily agree with him? Heck no. But my guess uh, is, Steve, the members of a fair board, you know, you know you're, you're going to be booking different acts that have different, some are more politically outspoken than others. And my guess is, when my guess is, when you're going through this booking thing, you're not saying, gee, do I agree with this person politically, be they on the right or the left? You're saying, hey, who's touring now? Who is somebody that I think is going to sell tickets and put butts in the stands? That is the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to... Who's going to bring people through the gates? Right, right. Yeah, so, I, I think Fond du Lac would make a horrible mistake if they were to uh, kowtow to Okay, so, so wh- tell me what, what happened. I remember the controversy up in, in Dodge County. You went ahead with the booking. My understanding is, as I recall, the show was a success. Was there a massive protest? Was it a problem, or was it just, hey, much ado about nothing at the end of the day? It was much ado about nothing. Nobody showed up. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I think the rest of the fair board's knowledge, there was no problem whatsoever anywhere on the grounds or outside the grounds. Right, and you would book him again if it was appropriate and he was touring at the right time? If he was touring at the right time, yeah. if it was appropriate, would we consider it? Yes, yeah. we would. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank, thanks, I appreciate it. Um, you know, let's see, Eric in Burlington writes, I don't, and this is a great example, I don't hear about conservatives throwing fits about John Mellencamp events. Uh, the lefties are pathetic. Well, that, that's exact. Okay, John, John Mellencamp is, by the way, a, an outspoken 
liberal who you know intersperses his show with a lot of his hardcore type of politics and and I happen to like Mellencamp's tunes. Okay, so that's great. Would I not go to a Mellencamp show because of his politics? I, I don't know, but do I think that John Mellencamp shouldn't be booked to play a county fair or a venue because he's got you know avowed left wing politics? No. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that. Again, it, it might be that somebody's politics or whatever. If I, I don't want to be preached to when I go to shows. And if I know that that's coming, I might cho- choose to avoid it, even if I like the particular performer, not because I have anything against the music, just because I don't want to be preached to. But, but I would never argue that you shouldn't book them. The only time I would argue that you shouldn't book somebody is if, for example, it's a family event and the performer, you know, every third word is going to be the F word or something like that. And if it's just, you know, completely inappropriate for what the event is. But just because of somebody's politics, I mean, my, my goodness, is that really the standard that we want to have? Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have seen uh, Ted Nugent of quite a few times over the past 25 years, and when he puts the show on, he leaves politics out of it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have people complaining about Ted Nugent because he goes on Facebook and you know, expresses his political views, what about Amy Schumer? Oh. I mean, honestly, she is very yep. vulgar, and I get offended whenever I hear her talk or... Right, you know, but but you wouldn't argue you wouldn't argue that if some venue wanted to book her because they thought there were a lot of people that could sell tickets that wanted to see her, you wouldn't say that they shouldn't do it. You'd just say, okay, I'm not going to go. Exactly. I would. I, people like that. That's their choice. Yeah. Ted Nugent. I love Ted Nugent's music. I think he's got a different style than most bands nowadays. And right, he leaves the politics out of it. Yeah, and and that and right. I thanks for seeing that. That's I guess it would, it's the double standards that are out there. It, this this idea that okay we're going to call speech that we don't agree with. You know we're going to call this this hate speech and we're going to try to shut it down. Gee, he feels this way or that way. Well, this means this guy's a hater, and you know we're you know we can't allow him to be um, you know we we can't allow him to even perform. Well, okay, here's. Here's the deal. I mean, don't go. You know, nobody makes you spend your money that way. Just don't go. But this idea, and and again, if this was somebody trying to put down a left-wing entertainer, oh, my gosh, this would be a national story. Can you imagine the folks in Fond du Lac? You've got these right-wing groups that are trying to say fill-in-the-blank shouldn't perform. It would be a national story. But because it's Ted Nugent, well, okay, then it's fair game. Now, to its credit, I don't think the folks that are running the fair in Fond du Lac are even considering this. They made the same point that our last caller was making about how, hey, look, you sign these contracts and there's a substantial penalty, but Let's face it, Fond du Lac knew, I have to believe, knew what they were getting into when they booked Ted Nugent. They just thought, all right, you know, we're not going to kowtow and we're not going to give into, again, that what Nugent describes as a lunatic fringe. I, I've also said this, you know, I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. Buffett is a huge lefty. He does fundraisers for all these left wing causes. But, you know, you go to a show. And he doesn't put politics in it. He, he's not preaching to you about, you know, his political beliefs. He understands that he has a diverse political audience. And so he just he does entertaining stuff. The day I probably stop going to Buffett concerts is the day that he changes that. I mean, I just because I don't want to be lectured to by, by somebody who has different views in mind. I want to hear the music. I want to be entertained. Um, I have a text here from 
Kevin in Belgium. Uh, we talked to Kevin a few weeks ago when we were discussing the Nugent controversy in Wausau. Um, he said, I, I called the other week about to talk about what Ted did um, for my son um, with osteocarcinoma. Um, he paid for us to go hunting with him, spend the weekend with us, and to this day gives my son words of encouragement through Facebook. He's a great guy. He has a great heart. Um, and then sent me a picture of him and his son um, hunting with Ted Nugent. So, I mean, that's, again, for everybody who says, oh, this is this awful hater. Well, okay, maybe there's another side to the story as well. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm having one of my give me strength moments this morning. No viable challengers to Scott Walker emerging, and nothing that happened today changes that. Mike McCabe, who is this crazy, whacked-out lefty um, who's been the kind of like uh, founding member of what is euphemistically caused, called a political watchdog group, the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. It's, ulti- it's ultimate. It's, it's this extreme left-wing organization that purports itself as being a good government group, and what they're really there is by good government they mo- mean anything liberal. He says, well, I, I, got, a, I got an email. There, I got a petition. Nearly 200 people urging me to run for governor. I am willing to do this. Wonderful. Okay. Um, I understand the Democrats in the state aren't taking advice from me, but a whacked-out, far-out, extreme Madison lefty running against Scott Walker, I, I just, I, I'm not sure I see that, but, you know, bring it on. Bring it on. Okay, this is the portion of the show that we, we do this this time every week. We kind of put aside the heavy lifting and talking about health care reform. Uh, the vote, by the way, going to be coming up in about 24 minutes or so. And we, we just take a little bit of a break and take a breather. I call this section Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes music, sometimes sports, sometimes TV. It's just whatever tickles my fancy in a given week that I hope will tickle yours. And uh, today we, we turn to the world of movies. I was discussing this with Jane Matinair earlier on. Um, on Friday night, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 comes out. Guardians of the Galaxy, just it was one of the, the Marvel comic book movies, but they, that's an obscure comic book. It's not like the Avengers or Spider-Man or things like that. But the, the movie, the original movie, was just, I think it was a surprise hit. Incredibly entertaining. I actually watched it again last night. It's one of these movies that yeah, you can watch it several times, and you still see stuff, and it's still a lot of fun. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which, by the way, has generated a huge positive buzz with people who've seen it. Uh, it opens up tomorrow night. I'm actually going to see it Saturday night. I told the story a little while ago. My um, Typically, we go opening night, but my niece can't make it, so my nephew says, well, leave her at home. Who cares? Let's go. But we're going to go Saturday night as, as a family, so looking forward to that. But it, it's a great movie. It's, a, it's an action-adventure movie. You know, and I will tell you, a lot of times these action adventure movies don't necessarily do a lot for me, but Guardians of the Galaxy works. For Pop Culture Corner today, in anticipation of the the Guardians of the Galaxy movie opening up, I thought we would do a genre of movies that I typically don't get into, and that is action adventure movies. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your absolute favorite action slash adventure movie. 
And I, th- these, are, these are broad categories that ranges, I think, everything from movies like The Guns of Navarone or whatever to Star Wars to Raiders of the Lost Ark to Guardians of the Galaxy to Avengers to any of the other stuff that's out there. But when you think about action-adventure movies, what would be your top choice? That movie, if you could recommend one movie that everybody go see in that genre, what would it be? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, in addition, we are up on Facebook Live, so we're live streaming this as well. You can participate. I'll try to check that as well, and you can watch the show as it evolves. My advice, as it always, I always give for segments like this, is our phone lines tend to jam up, so um, call quickly. And also, we want to get as many calls as we possibly can. And also, um, you know, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people kind of tend to, like, I think, overthink these things. You know, maybe it's maybe it's an action adventure movie that just had you completely. I know, riveted to your seat for the whole thing. Maybe it was something that was just like a lot of fun. Whatever. You know, you can define it for yourself. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back with your calls very shortly. This is going to be fun. 1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 opens up tomorrow. My producer, Hondo, is going to be there opening night. I'm going to be there Saturday. We're talking about action-adventure movies. Your favorite one, Russ in Brookfield. Russ, good morning. Good morning to you, sir. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what's the best one out there? My favorite one is Jaws. It's got action-adventure. It's got death. It's got comedy. It's got (laughs) music. It's got everything. It's got Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss. Absolutely. You know, and Roy Scheider. It's it's Scheider. It's, it's, It's great. Exactly. It is just a great movie. It's got camaraderie. It's got anger. It's got every emotion. It's got every visual aid you can think of. And it was, I mean, thank, I mean, you know, and it was actually, it was the movie that created the summer blockbuster. I, I've told this story before. I remember I, I was dating this woman, dating this woman when that movie came out. And when that jaw, when that shark first came out of the water, I still have the marks in my arm from where she grabbed it. 414-799-1620. Let's see. On Facebook, Lori writes, Gotta be Star Wars. May the fourth be with you. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, Well, my favorite is, it's actually a science fiction movie along with, I'd say, action adventure. But it's uh, Time After Time with uh, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, that's the where as I rec- it's been a while since I've seen that, but it's it's like he plays H.G. Wells in the Time right. Machine, and Jack the Ripper comes to modern day New York or something, right? Or say modern day um, San Francisco, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah and the, I discovered that movie when I was like, oh, I don't know, probably ten years old or something, on TV one afternoon. And I thought, okay, well, sounds like it might be okay. Right. And the scene that got me, and to this day, still gets me is when Jack the Ripper confronts him in the hotel room and talks about how he's a stranger there and he should go back. Oh, yeah, about how, uh, how everything's gotten violent. No, thanks for the call. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I just want to get as many calls as we can. But, yeah, that's matter of fact, they're making a... 
there's a TV show coming out. And I don't know if it's on cable or on regular net, but they're, they're coming out with a time after time TV show, I think. 414-799-1620. Boy, just a lot of great things. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, yes, that would be certainly qualify. Jeff and Tosa writes on our text line, The Avengers. The first one based on the Marvel comics, not the awful one based on the TV series. Funny, great action sequences and a very good story. Yeah. Um, yes, the, the Avengers. How disappointing. I used to love the TV show that based on the, the British spy thing, and I was just thinking, Diana Rigg. Well, Diana Rigg just really worked for me. The Iger Sanction, that's another one. Clint Eastwood, great mountain climbing um, and a really cool storyline. Plus, it had the late, great George Kennedy. How could you go wrong with that? 414-799-1620 on our Facebook Live. Uh, Ted writes, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Loved the role that Sean Connery played. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In honor of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, your favorite um, action-adventure movie. Let's talk to Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, you get to watch one action-adventure movie. What is it? In Harm's Way. Oh, uh, Patricia Neal, John Wayne, Burgess Meredith, and a cast of thousands. Yeah, it's... It's a good one. Um, it 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 is. Um, thanks for calling. You know, in harm's way, uh, which is set in the Pacific, uh, it didn't get as much it didn't get as much credit as um, uh, the longest day, the one that was about the, the the D-Day movie that featured all the big stars as well. But if if you haven't figured this out, I'm a huge John Wayne fan, and I'm also a huge fan of of. You know, war movies, I guess, for, for want of a better term. You know, and there's been some really good ones that are out there. And In Harm's Way is clearly one. Most recently, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan, of course, goes down as well. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Renee in New Berlin. Renee, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, there's actually two of them. My husband and I both love a movie called Mystery Men. Oh, sure. And um, this is an older one. Uh, it's called The Last Action Hero. It's with Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Yes, yes. You're right. who awesome. Play, who plays a... Um he plays a fictional character. I'm trying to remember. He plays a fictional character who somehow is brought to into the real world, right? That's yes, that. Yes, the a kid movie. gets like a golden ticket, and he's I, able to go on on the screen with them, and he brings them back into the real world. Yeah. And in the real world, everything really hurts. I yeah. I you know I um. Thanks to call Renee. I I tell you, I would have probably. I I remember all this stuff, and that's. <laughs> I remember the last action hero. You know, I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Total Recall. That was another one. That I, a little bit of Arnold Schwarzenegger goes a long way. But I, I always liked the Total Recall, not the remake that they made a couple years ago, but the original Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I would consider that in one. Let's see on our text line. Uh, Top Gun. Oh, can't go wrong with Top Gun. Uh, Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. The first date I ever went on, I was like 10 years old. I went with a girl who was also 10 years old to see the Dirty Dozen. I just, I, her name was Pam something or other. Oh, we might not have even been 10. We might have been, we were probably like eight or nine. Why were you going on dates at the age of eight or nine? Where were mom and dad? I had, <coughs> those are all fair questions. And I don't even understand or remember the circumstances, but the first movie i ever went to with a young woman named pam we went to see the dirty dozen um so that movie is always i've always um had fondness in my heart for that uh bill in waukegan illinois bill you're on 620 wtmj good morning this is a war film 
but um, it is a lot of action and a lot of adventure. And my favorite is Apocalypse Now. Um, I love the. I, I love the uh, Robert Duvall character. God, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. Have, have you seen? Have you seen the director's cut, the Apocalypse Now redo that they came out with a couple? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I have it too. And uh, he he does a little cameo in there where yeah. he's going through uh, the filming the uh, uh, the right. veterans. Yeah, I like. I mean, I I liked Apocalypse Now. I liked the. A little Marlon Brando goes a long way, and I, I will have to tell you, I, I like the first half of Apocalypse Now or Apocalypse Now Redo. I liked it better than the second half. I just thought it got kind of weird with the Marlon Brando thing. Not that long ago, I read a book on on the making of it, and you know how difficult it was, and how difficult Brando was, and Francis Ford Coppola. He's coming off The Godfather, and he's he's always been sort of a piece of work as well. But um, you know, it, it's a movie that I, I think works, and like I say, that Robert Duvall character in particular, you know. Um, the Colonel, whatever. It, that's a he—he's something. Clarence in Milwaukee. Clarence, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Yes, I like to mention African Queen. I hope um, you remember that one. Oh, I'm a huge Bogart fan. Absolutely, Humphrey yeah, Bogart, Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. You can't go wrong with that. That's right. I love that movie. And and you know it was, you know, of course that we're, we're talking about like a different time frame there, but that's. You know, that was one of, not one of his last movies. Well, it might have been one of his last movies. But, you know, he was coming off of, like, the hits with Casablanca and stuff like that. But he's just, uh, Bogart is incredible in that movie. And, and they're, they're just a great team. And if you haven't seen African Queen, I would, again, I would highly recommend it. Um, let's see, going back to our text line, The Great Escape. Um, Dave from Waukesha texts, Marathon Man and the remake of True Grit, Christian in Menominee Falls. He says the Great Escape. You know, you could pretty much, you you could pretty much do any Steve McQueen movie, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the Great Escape being one, Magnificent Seven being another, Bullet being another. Um, even even the Thomas Crown Affair. I like the original a lot better. The one with uh, him. Um, and Faye Dunaway. I like that better than the remake they did with Pierce Brosnan, but lots of stuff that's going on. Uh, Jason, on our Facebook page, and we are live streaming on Facebook Live, I'm a James Bond fan, so any of those movies would work. Uh, Goldfinger and GoldenEye are my favorite. I'm a sucker for Goldfinger. I just love Goldfinger. Kathy, on our text line, says, on our uh, Facebook Live, says, um, any Mad Max movies? Hmm. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Dave in Racine. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How about Armageddon? Uh, Bruce Willis, a space movie. Billy Bob Thornton is the straight man in that movie. <laughs> but the late Michael Clark Duncan. I mean, you know, Steve Buscemi. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's uh, got action. It's there's some sad moments in there, but it's uh, uh, the score and the Aerosmith soundtrack uh, tunes. And I cannot hear. LaGrange without thinking of uh, Bruce Willis <laughs> shooting golf balls at a Greenpeace vessel. How can, <laughs> how, how can you, when you're talking about action and adventure movies, how can you go wrong with any any Bruce Willis type of movie? I mean, I would think, you know, and I, 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 I like Armageddon, but I mean, when you, when you think about Bruce Willis, I think you, um, you know, you, you got to just, you, you begin and end with Die Hard, especially like the original one. I mean, just, I mean, that's, that was that was the classic. I, I actually, I mean, a lot of the Marvel movies as well. I mean, the Captain America series, I think, is pretty good. There's just so much good stuff that is out there. Jan in Pewaukee. Jan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. 
Okay, best action adventure movie. Point of No Return. Okay, interesting. That was uh, remind me who I get the, who was who was in there. Was that was that Kevin Costner? No, no. Um, oh my gosh, I can't okay. even remember his name right now. Okay, it's an older movie. Um, it, it's just it's, okay. It's great. All right. I love it. Point of No Return. Okay, because I, I mean, you know, a lot of the Kevin Costner stuff is like that too. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the Kevin Costner stuff is great. Like No Way Out, and I, I know Point of No Return was not No Way Out, but um, you know No Way Out with Gene Hackman and Kevin Costner that that was a really good one. There's just so much different stuff that's out there. That's the fun thing to me about talking about movies because there's all these different genres. Um, I got a feeling. I have a feeling that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is going to be a huge success and a lot of fun. And I hope so. And if you like those type of movies, I would encourage you to see it. Um, I'm going to see it on Saturday night.